This morning, uh, we have a bit of a reading that's going to be going on. Um, we're going to read from two chapters, Joshua 3 and 4. Um, those here may want to grab a few extra peppermints, and uh, if you're online, you may want to grab a coffee or two. Um, but I want to first put a bit of context around this. Uh, the book of Joshua is about new beginnings. Um, the book of Joshua is about new beginnings for God's people, for his people then and also for his people now. It's about God's faithfulness to his people and continuation of God's covenantal promises. Joshua and the Israelites have embarked on a new adventure, this journey. In Joshua 1, we read that there's much transition and change that occurred in the lives of the covenantal community. And that started with the death of Moses, the new leader of Joshua coming. And God preparing them to, to get ready to cross the Jordan River into the promised land, as we've heard in the children's message as well. Joshua 2 was the story of Rahab and the spies. And we were reminded that the Lord will use people on the fringes to grow his church, to grow his kingdom. And also that the Lord precedes us. He precedes his people in his work. So this morning we're going to read from Joshua 3 and 4. And we come into the miraculous story of the crossing of the Jordan River. And we're reminded of three things this morning. So I guess it's going to be a three-point sermon. Um, we're reminded to remember, to retell, and to respond. Remember, retell, and respond. Before we get into this passage, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story of your people of Israel, as we have it in the book of Joshua. And we can be reminded how you were the God of Israel, and they were your people. And you are our God, and we are your people. And we thank you for your never-changing promises and for your love and grace to each of us. And may your spirit be upon us as we read from your word again this morning and we hear your word proclaimed. And as we leave this place to live out your word in our daily lives. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So Joshua 3 and 4. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites sent out from Shittim, and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. And then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, and Hittites, and Hivites, and Perizzites, and Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, 
The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathon. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. In chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And he said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, What do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones that he had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, In the future... When your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to our God. So yeah, this was a bit of a longer reading. But we mentioned that through these two chapters, the themes that we hear 
are those three points of remembering, retelling, and responding. So we're told to remember. And visual markers help us remember certain things. Because there's symbols and signs and images and emojis that help us remember. Now I'm a forgetful person and likely there's probably other forgetful people out there too. And you may not admit that you're forgetful, but guaranteed one of your beloved family members will admit it for you. And if we are people who tend to forget, it would be good to have certain markers or identifiers in our life. And I'm not just talking about all these sticky notes that you can post around. Many youth and young adults, they've returned to school this month. Class schedules or apps are something visual to help you remember the courses that you're enrolled on in and the time, even those early mornings that you need to arrive at the class and what room and building the classes are located. Driving down the roads in Exeter, we come across various visual identifiers. And these identifiers keep us safe and provide information. They help us remember that we need to stop or that there's no left turn or that we maybe need to yield or that you're entering into a school zone. In church, we have visual identifiers that also help us remember. We are reminded of our baptism. We're reminded of the Lord's Supper. We're reminded of preaching, the preaching of God's Word. In a couple weeks, we'll be launching a new website. And along with this, we have launched also a new logo. I think it'll appear on the screen at this time. The logo represents that our church is approachable. And the logo also represents the Trinity. The cross represents Jesus, the dove, the Holy Spirit. The tail of the dove can be viewed as God's hand reaching out to us and our hand reaching out to others. It can also be seen as a wave since Huron County is Ontario's west coast. Visual identifiers point us to what is important and help us remember. We're told to remember. In chapter 3, the Israelites appear at the Jordan River. And the Jordan was typically 30 meters wide, but at flood stage in the spring, it was about one and a half kilometers wide. And this is due to the melting snow from the mountains and the heavy spring rains. Well, once they cross the Jordan, they get closer to the inconquerable city of Jericho. Now, if you knew, if you've seen a map to this area, if you were to look at a map in this area, a reasonable question would be, why didn't God have them cross into the Promised Land south of the Dead Sea? You have the Jordan River here, you have the, the Dead Sea below, and right below the Dead Sea, there's no water. And they had already passed this area. They could have easily come into this area, crossed over into the Promised Land. They wouldn't have had to cross the water, the dangerous waters. They wouldn't have had to confront right away the people of Jericho. But the answer is given to us in Joshua 3, verse 5. The Lord will do amazing things among you. You see, God already had his plans in place for the Israelites. They were going to cross the challenging, flooded Jordan River. They were eventually going to crush the people of Jericho. And God's plan sent them on this amazing three-day adventure. The Lord of all the earth, the Lord, their living God, was to lead them safely across this flooded Jordan River. 
So early morning on the first day, the people of Israel set out. And they set out from Shittim, and Shittim was about a 16-kilometer trip from the Jordan River. And it took them all day to make this trip to the river. And they rested the second day, and then they prepared themselves on the second day for the crossing on the third day. And on this third day, God took the people of Israel across the Jordan. And God told the priests that when they reached the edge of the Jordan's water, go and stay standing in the river. Now again, this was potentially dangerous with this fast-flowing, flooded river. And you got to think about it. Like what faith was exhibited by the first people and, and, and their first steps? No, you go first. No, you go first. You can imagine the argument that would happen. But as soon as the priests who were carrying the Ark of God stepped foot in the Jordan, the water from upstream stopped flowing. And it piled in a heap about 30 kilometers upstream at the city of Adam. This was indeed a miracle. It was a miracle that paralleled the parting of the Red Sea some 40 years earlier. This was a miracle that reminded the people that the all-powerful and always-present Lord God Almighty. Joshua tells the people that this miracle is how you will know the living God is among us. And so Joshua refers to God as the living God, as opposed to the mute and lifeless idols and gods worshipped by other nations. The living God is among the people of Israel, and he's actively present with his people. Our God is a living God. He is a God whom we can converse with. He is a God who listens to us and we can listen to him. He is a God who is always present in our lives and in our church through the power of the Holy Spirit. People of God, our God is a living God. And we can have a living faith. A faith that makes us step out. A faith that makes us obedient to God's will. Christianity is a living religion because our God is a living God who does amazing things and he desires an active relationship with his people. But our God also knows that humanity tends to be forgetful. Although we have constant reminders of God's faithfulness to his church, whether it be through the preaching or sacraments or fellowship or worship, if we're honest with ourselves we'll admit that we often tend to forget many of the blessings. So God tells the Israelites to remember what he has done. And out of God's grace, he instructs Joshua to have the people set up this sign, to set up a memorial to remember the Lord's faithfulness. And that's the purpose of these 12 stones. A person representing each of the 12 tribes was to find a stone out of the dry river Jordan and carry this stone to where they settled in their camp at Gilgal, which was about 13 kilometers away from the river. So you can imagine that this was a long walk with someone carrying this stone. But these stones were to serve for a purpose. They were to serve as a function, as a visual remembrance of a living and faithful God. Just take a look at the stones and remember God. Worship God. But it's not enough to simply remember. This passage also 
encourages us to retell. To retell the story. Three weeks ago marked the uh, anniversary date of 9-11. And it was 20 years ago when the evil nature of humanity tragically murdered people in New York and Washington and Pennsylvania. Many lives were lost that day and many tears were shed on that long and tense filled day. But grace triumphed in the midst of tragedy because we also have heard many stories of heroism. There were stories that were shared of God's faithfulness. There were many who were brought together in prayer services. And anybody who was too young at the time to understand what was going on might hear about the evil and the tragedy and may not even hear about the stories of God's faithfulness unless people retell the stories. That's the same with Joshua 4. If the Israelites' children were to ask, okay, what does all this mean? The people were to retell the stories. They were to retell the stories of God's faithfulness. In the latter part of chapter 4, 22 to 24, the passage stresses how the Lord your God dried up the Jordan, that the Lord your God did this. It's emphasized that it's all about God and his plans for his people. We don't put the focus on our own ambitions. Rather, God receives the glory. God is a faithful God who takes care and watches over his people. And our focus needs to remain on the Lord. It's the faithfulness of God that needs to be in our minds, in our hearts, and visually engraved in our eyes. And it's the faithfulness of God that needs to be on our lips. That's what we need to be reminded of. We need to remember this as a church body. Because when we turn our focus away from God, and when we end up turning our focus then to human efforts, what occurs is we see the failings of humanity. And so then we begin to retell, but we retell the negative stories. We tend to speak negative about people. We tend to hold grudges about things that happened in the past. We tend to not trust certain people, whether in the church or, or in our families. And why? Because we choose to retell the wrong stories. We'd rather talk bad about people. We complain about what we don't like rather than we sh sharing with people the positive things that the living Lord our God has blessed us with. We need to store, we, or rather we tend to store all of God's abundant mercies in the backs of our minds rather than the forefront of our minds and even on our lips. You see, the devil tempts us with negative thoughts and the devil puts these obstacles in front of us. The devil tempts us with thinking of what went wrong rather than what went right. And God encourages his people to think of his blessings and so God encourages his people to keep our focus on him. To keep our focus on his faithfulness. Focus on what he has done for his people in the past and that he will continue to do today in the present. And his faithfulness is assured in the future. So scripture clearly tells us to retell the stories. To retell the stories to our children to retell the amazing things that our living God has done. 
Our children will often inherit their worldview, likely from their parents. And if parents continually speak negative about the church and the work of the leaders and the various things that go on in the church, we can't be surprised that the children will grow up to speak against the church or maybe become cynical about the church or perhaps even turn away from the church and eventually turn away from God. It's important that we proclaim to all our children God's faithfulness. And we see it all the time. God's faithfulness to his people. The stories of God's faithfulness need to be retold over and over. This is what the living Lord your God did. And this is what he continues to do in my life, in your life, in the life of the church. We encourage this at baptism. The infant baptized doesn't have a clue about God's promises. But other children and adults are witnesses to God's promises at the baptism. And eventually, as the child who is baptized gets older, they will hear the stories of God's faithfulness. And they'll see it at other baptisms. And Lord's Supper is a memorial of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness through his son, Jesus Christ, our living God. Remember and retell the story of God's grace through his son. Remember and retell the saving power of Jesus Christ through his death and resurrection. And God's faithfulness is for all ages to experience. Today, as mentioned by Leo as well through the children's message, we have 12 stones here. 12 stones that are visual reminders. And these stones remind us of just some of the many stories of God's faithfulness. The stones that are placed here this morning, they're not enough for us to simply just look at and enjoy looking at the structure. We cannot... We cannot only remember what God has done, but the stories of what God has done need to be retold. Remember and retold. The stone monument that was set up at Gilgal reminded the Israelites that the Lord brought them safely across the Jordan River. That their time in the wilderness has now been complete. And they have finally entered into the, that promised land. Their living Lord has done amazing things among them. Sure, they can focus on all the obstacles that took them those 40 years to get there. But focus on what God is doing and his faithfulness. We need to remember God's faithfulness. We need to retell the stories about God's faithfulness. And finally, we need to respond. We need to respond in faith. We move forward in faith saying the words this morning, by faith. Would we be willing to step out into that flooded Jordan River? Faith. As a church, we move forward because Jesus himself says that the church is, is a body. It's his body. And the body is an organism. And an organism is in a constant change. There's no body that stays the same. We need to move, forth, move forward in faith, knowing that Jesus is the head of this body, of this ever-changing and ever-growing body. And Jesus himself calls us to go forward, to go, go forward and make disciples. We need to move forward in faith, knowing that our living God of the past is the living God of the present and the living God of the future. We need to move forward in faith knowing that our living God is doing amazing things among us. 
The stones, they're not a reminder of the people of Israel or that we need to hold on to the past. But these stones are a reminder that we build on to the past. We grow in faith on account of the faithfulness of our living God and Savior. People of God, as we continue this journey through the book of Joshua, as of discovering God's desired future for our church and our community, we'll be constantly reminded of God's faithfulness to his body, of his faithfulness to his church. And may these stones here remind us as well. May we continually remember all God's blessings to his people and to his church. And may we retell these blessings to our children and to one another. And may we respond in faith as we move forward according to the Lord's leading. The Israelites crossed over the Jordan. Imagine their sense of exhilaration and excitement. They've arrived in the promised land of Canaan. And we too can look forward to these exciting times. Yes, in God's kingdom and church here on earth, but also we wait for the promise of Christ's second coming. And this excitement is not based on our own wisdom or our own actions, but it's all on account of God's grace. On account of the Lord, our living God, who is and who was and who is to come. So remember, retell, and respond in faith to the faithfulness of our God, our heavenly God, our heavenly Father and Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. And together we say, Amen.